he talks about ma making mistakes and making accidents and how you use those and they become new intentions to make better work. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. In today's episode, we'll be talking about neurodiversity in the workplace. Currently, this is a hot topic of discussion with many employers keen to recruit a diverse range of employees and to capture their voice and opinions. Yet when it comes to neurodiversity and embracing the people's differences, many employers remain uncertain on how to improve accessibility in their hiring strategies and workplace design. My name is Tahina Mitra and I'm the Graduate Futures Careers Consultant at London College of Fashion. I have the pleasure of two fantastic guests joining me today who are Kerry Kennedy, Senior Disability Advisor for UAL's Academic Development Services, who has first-hand experience supporting our students and over 10 years working as a disability practitioner. And also James Bosley, Senior Graphist and Textiles Designer with over a decade of luxury luxury industry experience from Louis Vuitton, Alexandra McQueen, to currently working for Dior Home. Welcome Kerry and James. Um, could be great if we could start with a brief introduction of yourself and your back. So over to you Kerry if you want to introduce yourself. Hi everyone, um, my name is Karis Kennedy. As Tahina said, I um, work in um, UAL's disability service. Um, I've worked there for um, nearly eight years now um, and had previously worked in other roles in education and disability. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Lovely, thank you for attending. And James, over to you. Hi, um, I'm James and um, as you said, I am a, a senior graphist and textile designer. And um, I actually work freelance, so I'm self-employed, but that means that I work out of my own spaces and also are involved in kind of more corporate design spaces in London and in Paris as well. Wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you for attending. Um, so I'm going to get started getting straight into these questions. So the first question over to Kerry is, um, what does neurodiversity and neurodivergent mean? Um, so neurodiversity is um, quite a recent term. It's only kind of been developed in the last 25 years. And it's um, a term that addresses the idea that people think differently. Um, there's diversity in how people how people think. So when we think about people who are neurodivergent, we typically think of people who have specific learning differences, such as dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, um, ADHD, autistic people, maybe a combination of those. Um, some people include certain mental health conditions in neurodiversity, um, acquired brain injury could be part of neurodiversity. Um, I think the thing to note is it's a kind of a contested term because it's new, it's our understanding of it is still developing. But really, I think the ethos of neurodiversity is that um, being neurotypical as in kind of um, I guess the kind of a standard way of thinking is not the only approach. Neurodiversity is kind of an aspect of um, inclusivity. Fabulous. And how can we change some of the stigma around neurodiversity? I mean, I suppose with neurodiversity, it's the idea that um, every, if everybody thinks differently, everybody um, has um, strengths and things that they find difficult. And that's true if you're neurodivergent or if you're neurotypical, everybody has strengths and, and weaknesses. So I think in order to challenge some of the stigma, it's kind of about embracing people's strengths um, 
in terms of whether they're neurodivergent or not. But also I think it's worth mentioning there's kind of like a little bit of a risk about um, stereotypes, which may sometimes appear really positive as well. So there's kind of stereotypes, for example, that all autistic people are amazing at math. Now, if you're the autistic person who wants to pursue a career in art and design and people are kind of steering you towards maths because that's what they think you're going to be good at, that can actually kind of have its own sort of limitations. So I think part of challenging the stigma is just embracing what people bring and not kind of coming with assumptions. Um, just because one neurodivergent has a particular strength, it doesn't mean all people with that same um, diagnosis do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, uh... As we, um, I've discussed with Karis over the years, yeah. my experience of it came in, a, in maybe in a slightly different order because I was obviously practicing and I got through a lot of my education before I realised that I that I, I was neurodiverse. Um, so I think it's a if people if people are diagnosed at school, mm. um, that probably changes their trajectory on it, and everyone everyone uh, is more aware of the problem. Whereas I, it happened to me quite a lot later. Um, and when we get into workplaces, again, I think we're, a lot of workplaces haven't been established with that in mind and workplaces aren't really aren't really designed with, with neurodiversity in mind. So I think yeah. I if, if, if we're all starting from a point now where we're more, we understand that, you know, the problem more and the question, then I think that's going to, that helps us move forward. Well, what do you, so James, what do you, what challenges do you think new divergent employees face in the workplace? Just like, you know, who are neurodivergent? It's just that sort of, that baseline lack of empathy um, yeah. towards it, just because it, it is a new thing and it's not, it's not what people's main focus is in work, something that we, that, that I guess a huge challenge when you switch from being in education to to a workplace is that suddenly it's gone from a place where the focus is, is on your personal development to an environment where you're really getting paid to deliver and even so that even if you have um what you consider a, a disability in, in a relation to your peers at work um you still have to deliver perhaps to the same standards so uh, i think it's a uh, if people can understand you and you feel brave enough to ask for your circumstances to be improved so you're able to deliver the job that you're paid to do uh, well, there's a concept that I find really helpful in thinking about kind of the idea of challenges in different um, environments. And it's something called the social model of disability. And it's the idea that people are disabled by barriers in their environments. So in a workplace environment, a barrier could be inflexible working practices. It could be um, the expectation to have really kind of unnecessarily quick turnaround times when actually things could have um, longer lead times a barrier could be an attitudinal barrier so an assumption that someone's going to be really good at something or struggle with something based on their kind of diagnosis or impairment so I think um, it, when I think about the idea of challenges in the workplace I kind of change the word challenges to barriers in my head what are the things that get in the way for people in terms of how they work and that can be quite individual and I think again it's important to say that neurodivergent people will experience particular barriers um, themselves but we all do there's all we all have kind of ways that we work best um, when yeah in a kind of some people thrive in a busy open plan office environment where they can speak to everybody some people need a bit of peace and quiet some people need it for different tasks so mm. I think I think I think inflexibility for everybody um 
can be a barrier and what the pandemic has shown us is that actually sometimes there are more flexible ways of working that can kind of help us to remove some of those barriers. No, I totally agree. What responsibilities do employers have to their neurodivergent employees? Um, neurodivergent people are usually typically protected by something called the Equality Act 2010. So the Equality Act is anti-discrimination legislation and it says that um, employers have a responsibility to put in place what we call reasonable adjustments for neurodivergent people. Um, So um, really the responsibility that employers have is to kind of um, remove anything that could disadvantage a neurodivergent person or in kind of coming back to that idea of social model of disability to remove barriers for disabled people. So that's about um, making um, changes or tweaks to working practices, um, access to equipment or software that could be helpful. Um, But also, I think the law is a little bit of a minimum standard. Um, There's the need to make reasonable adjustments. That's something that we absolutely can't get around. But meeting our Equality Act obligations isn't inclusivity um, as um, that's kind of like the, the bare minimum so I think it's about going well what can we do that's more than our responsibility our, I'd, I would say our ethical responsibility to is to, to take positive steps to make sure that we're including people um, and I guess we'll talk about that more as, as we go about that could look like. Yeah and you know and James in your own experience as a freelancer you know how do you make sure you have what you need? to do the kind of role, the work and the role mm. that you do? Well, I think it's important to sort of state my kind of advantage and accept the privilege that I have here, that I've managed to fashion a, a career for myself where I, I sort of set things up in my own way because I work outside of studios. And obviously mm. not everybody has that advantage, but I kind of, because of the direction in which I came into fashion, it wasn't through formal training. I had I had I kind of set things up on my own first, which meant that I have my own systems and my own policies. But maybe there's positive things anyone could take from that into a workspace, which is just that you need to lead with what's good for you. Uh, you know, even uh, whether you feel you have a technical um, disability or not, everyone has to play on their strengths and kind of figure out what works for them. And if you're meeting that criteria and you're delivering people to things and giving them the service. Because it's also a service as well as design content. You know, you are providing your colleagues with services exactly their jobs. So, if you, as long as you know what those parameters are, the ways in which you reach those, mm. I think that's really up to you. And I think you can take that. I think I've I've stumbled in the past by thinking, well, I saw someone else doing it that way, and the person on the desk next to me is doing it this way. I need to try and fit into their into their kind of shape box. But that never doesn't really work for anyone. You know, whether they're neurodiverse or not yeah I've I've seen that in the workplace I mean leading on from that in your mind like what do you think is the kind of a reasonable adjustments you know in terms of would it say like uh, tools or um, requirements that you know and a neurodivergent employee would have you know given a couple of prime examples I think following on from that point is it's about software and you know tools are are a good point but I guess before that comes the actual communication and I've found that in the past is someone if you just let an employee know that they can reach things in their own path and they can do things in their own way and they can find their own route to a solution and let them know that that's up to them how they get there but just let them know where they need to get I think that is the start of it really because then they can say to you oh well actually 
you know, may I have access to this kind of software? Can I have this piece of equipment? Could we try doing things in this way? But it's giving them the ability to ask and to suggest as well, rather than thinking I have to just follow, you know, going right back to my time at school when I didn't realize I had problems learning in exactly the same way as my as my fellow pupils. I didn't know I could ask for things to be different because I wasn't really sure if that was a failure from the start, if you see what I mean. So I think it's yeah. communication at the very beginning of it making a, an environment where people feel like they can they can ask and they can suggest as long as they're delivering um and carrie like could you say to shed some light on this same point too i mean i think james makes a, a really helpful point that a starting point can to, can be to think well what's the outcome that's um needs to be arrived at what's the piece of work that needs to be produced um what yeah what's what's the goal here and the goal needs to be arrived at, but the steps that can be taken to arrive at that goal can be different for everybody, um, as long as it kind of ensures that the, you know, the work, the work gets done. Um, so in terms of um, like commonplace adjustments, um, it can be things like um, flexible working, so flexible working hours, um, mm -hmm. access to things like um, priority access to quiet spaces or working from home Hopefully. Will, will we have the option to continue that if we if we need to um it can be for example if you're involved in something that requires taking um i don't know if you were taking minutes are you allowed to use a recording device to kind of that can support you with your minute or note taking or um, using recording devices can be quite helpful so that someone can kind of listen carefully to what you're saying and then they've got the recording to review if they need to yeah um, that's the, that's a good idea it's it's small things that can really kind of help the additional support and I think and I think it's as, as James was saying I mean that's quite an individual thing it's about kind of asking the practical questions oh well how can we make this work better for you and I and I expect that there'll be people listening today who aren't neurodivergent who would agree actually yeah I work so much better in a quiet environment or oh you know I actually really find it difficult to take notes so you don't have to be neurodivergent to benefit from some of these things but if we're kind of creating and fostering an environment where we're um supporting in inclusivity for neurodivergent people it's going to benefit everybody because everybody has preferred ways of working um but there are a couple of other sort of things that are more specific to kind of um, neurodivergent and um, disabled people just to say that not all neurodivergent people identify as disabled people but they are likely to be protected as disabled people under the law and um, there's something called um, access to work so access yeah, yes. to work is um, government funding for certain types of um, support. So, for example, um, James mentioned things like um, software, like screen tinting software, dictation software, reading software. Access to work can potentially fund um, that kind of software. If you were a neurodivergent person for whom traveling on public transport presented an incredibly huge barrier and um, access to work can sometimes fund occasional taxi journeys can fund specialist equipment and um, it can also fund um, really helpful strategy training so that if you are maybe just trying to work out for yourself well how do I work most effectively people keep asking me what I need but I'm not sure the strategy training can help um, to learn more about how you work effectively and develop those strategies independently so I would really like to um, encourage people to look into access to work if they think it might be um, relevant to them but yeah. also I think 
just for for workplaces as well I mean a lot of what we're talking about is when we talk about adjustments and we talk about access to work we're talking about changes that are individualized um for an for a person in response to a problem or a perceived problem I think developing inclusive workplaces where I don't know the simple things like are the documents that you write accessible when you write emails are you doing it in size eight times new roman or are you using a more accessible font that's easier it that's easier to read are you um creating an environment where people kind of can work at their own pace and comfortably and that doesn't have to be in response to a problem that can be a culture that's fostered um, yeah across the board but will benefit everybody yeah totally agree and you know saying that with all these kind of like kind of the support um and the tools that you have i mean there's been so many successful creative individuals like oscar winner anthony hopkins who's autistic so you know you know james like what additional skills a neurodivergent individual can provide within the creative industry well yeah i mean what i was thinking about as Karis was talking about um making sure that people are allowed to communicate and get access to tools you, i think another way to think about it when you're entering a commercial space is that you're as a, as a designer and a creative you have this asset and basically your employer or your the person who's commissioned you is about to access a lot of amazing stuff from you and you just need to be confident enough to say to them if you give me the tools to unlock this you're going to get a lot out of this because i'm great and you have that confidence and i think people like um someone i always think of is is, is brian eno who always kind of talks about i, I brian eno isn't someone that i if i know he's neurodiverse or not but he talks about ma making mistakes and making accidents and how you use those and they become new intentions to make better work and i think people my experience from a positive point of view as someone um is neurodiverse is um I feel like I don't work in, in linear ways. I don't think in straight lines. Things tend to go broader, which is kind of the same reason, the same problem that makes it hard for me to follow a spreadsheet or write an invoice, which is something I do force myself to do. But it's also the thing that makes you think, think kind of visually very, very broad. And you kind of think about nine things at once and you kind of move forward in a very, in a non-linear path, which means you come across good ideas and maybe things that other people haven't thought about because you sort of wander through processes and problems slightly more. That's that's amazing. In um, a workplace that's inclusive um, in terms of neurodiversity, you're just accessing the broadest possible range of talent and mm -hmm. you're getting different perspectives and ways of thinking because you're bringing people in um, whatever their way of thinking. Um, but I do think, I, I said at the very beginning, there are kind of risks in terms of, it can sound really positive to, to say uh, neurodivergent people have got kind of special talents and are always more creative. I mean, some are, some aren't. Everybody's got strengths and weaknesses. So I kind of think about reframing it as instead of thinking, well, what are the benefits of bringing in special neurodivergent people? Yeah. It's kind of asking the question, what are you losing if you exclude people? What are you losing if you exclude anybody? Um, you are um, risking um, losing um, a fresh perspective, another way of thinking. So it's a loss if we um, inadvertently exclude people. And then 
there's also well, what do you lose if you don't make um, adjustments um, if mm. you aren't an inclusive workplace you're going to lose staff you're going to have higher staff turnover you're going to have demotivated staff and you're going to have staff who aren't um, performing in the way that you would want so through making adjustments you're going to have more motivated staff you're going to have better staff retention you're going to have a better um, range of ideas um, a happier happier place and also we've talked a lot about kind of neurodivergent people kind of being given and um, empowered to sort of say how they work best you're supporting people to learn how they are going to perform best at work and you're going to get the most um, out of them um and i do think as well i mean if there's there's reputational benefits and reputational risks to being an inclusive inclusive or uninclusive workplace um word gets around people hear about um inclusive universities inclusive workplaces um and you know they're encouraged to kind of join if they if they feel like they're likely to be well supported whereas at the same time if um, a workplace is inflexible has got really kind of prescribed ways of working that don't work for neurodivergent people if it is really judgmental not taking people as they are word gets around there and it might be that you're not kind of attracting the best range of, of talents so it kind of um it begins before people even apply to work with you or, or walk, walk, walk through the door I think. No I totally agree with you Carrie so I think you know word gets around um and it doesn't it doesn't shed any light on a company if they if they only recruit only specific individuals mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's definitely one to like kind of embrace I think in in fashion in particular for example I'm sure we've seen in the media over the past few years that there is there is a lot of work to do in within design studios and within within fashion companies for diversity full stop yes agreed um but I think the studios kind of seem to be like because they're creative places and when people are being creative they often guards get let down and people feel more vulnerable so they need to be like almost a bioculture that works and I've been involved with studios that have almost like a positive sort of like almost like a starter kit within them where they feel like positive places and people go in and they feel good and good work comes out and then there's the studios where there's much more of a maybe top-down sort of um less diverse approach and less accepting of of, of um different approaches and different ways of thinking and those places are always the ones that yes I could argue do have a higher turnover of staff and do have a larger level of, of dissatisfaction um, and that this could root back to things like whether there's maybe naturally and kind of without saying more of a more of an acceptance of people having neurodiversity within the spaces that this could actually be the grain that makes this makes the studios positive makes them efficient makes them feel good you know and yeah no totally agree with you and leading on from that Carrie if um if I if I think someone is neurodivergent how can I support them um so it's an interesting point because we may not know if a person's neurodivergent they may choose not to tell us they may yeah. not know themselves and I mentioned earlier this idea of the social model of disability, the idea of kind of taking practical um, steps to remove barriers. And I think what the social model kind of means in practice is if you if you think that someone you're working with is neurodivergent and you, maybe you think that somebody might be might be struggling or having a difficult time, get used to asking questions like, how can we make this work better for you? Um, what do you need? 
is there anything getting in the way? You don't need to know if someone has a diagnosis to put support in place. You can take a kind of a solutions focused strategy and kind of work with someone and coach them irrespective of whether they are neurodivergent, whether they have a diagnosis and whether they share that diagnosis with you. So it's about kind of working with the strengths, but also kind of putting in um, support for the for the challenges. And I think it's kind of um, important to acknowledge that actually not everybody has access to diagnosis. Um, people from kind of marginalised groups may have less access to um, things like diagnostic assessments, may come from parts of the world where um, assessments are different or have different kind of medical care. So if we get to, this is why I keep talking about the idea of inclusivity rather than focusing solely on reasonable adjustments if we rely on people having a diagnosis disclosing that diagnosis to put stuff in place we're already kind of too late we're ex we're inadvertently excluding a whole bunch of people who maybe don't have that access to diagnosis um so yeah i would i would say um practical questions um to support our colleagues who may or may not be neurodivergent what do you need how can this work better for you uh what how do you work best what's worked for you well in the past um is there anything you need me to do differently um those kinds of things will kind of serve us well without getting into kind of too much personal information for people yeah yeah totally agree and James like you know if you want to shed some pointers on this um is there any kind of key example James where like somebody supported you or you've supported somebody else that you might know yeah I think that I think if you make sure the tools are out there for people to use but it's not pressurizing people necessarily to use them because obviously taking different personalities types into into the equation as well as different um different learning um approaches I think if you let if you set something up for someone to use but don't be offended if they don't use it. You know, we also have to remember people, people in spaces that are neurodiverse diverse are going to be working at different levels as well. It's not just a junior thing. Someone who's senior might also be having the same, you know, the same problems facing the same challenges. You know, and honestly, I've, I've been just as inspired and supported by people that are kind of are working for me as well as people that I'm working for. I mean, that's my personality type that I, I don't mind taking instruction or being advised by people from different levels but I think that's helped me because not afraid to ask the question not also afraid to, to listen to the answer you know mm. and that, that sort of can can intersect at various levels in in workspaces and from senior to junior junior to sort of middle level and you know it, it, that's about the work culture as well is that someone doesn't feel like I own I can only dictate to you I cannot receive information people people younger than us people coming into their careers at earlier stages have had different experiences of this to date so it's actually great to listen to people that may be younger than you or may be less design experience than you but actually we might find that we're coming across people that their experience of neurodiversity in the workplace is, is better or more advanced than mine you know yeah exactly it's always it's helpful when it comes to knowledge sharing and yeah. you know like what tips would you say like in terms of embracing neurodiversity in the workplace you know how can we how can we embrace it and I think perhaps it's, it's obviously you know we're saying this we, we know there's there's a lot of pressure in fashion industries and design studios to deliver to deliver these assets that is that is key but I think we need to keep the we need to try and keep the the creative sort of face of 
of kind of fashion design and pull that back into the studio space more. So, you know, it's not just there's no point having a, a creative garment or a creative kind of show or a creative product. You can try and pull that down and still keep thinking about way, uh, ways to be creative right through to the people that might be managing studio spaces or people that kind of might be might be talking to you about, you know, uh, meeting schedules and you know, product developers, merchandisers, a lot of it is very, it's very commercial, but I think we need to kind of remember to be creative people. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Right, right through to the, to, to the very roots of the studio, because that tends to build these, these great working spaces. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think um, James makes a really great point, but we, I mean, we're talking about um, creative industries. We've, we've got the luxury of not doing things the way things have always been done, of thinking, I mean, I'm sorry, cliche but thinking outside the box um so I just think we should kind of embrace that skill set we're surrounded by creative people who can um come up with different ways of working that hopefully work work for everybody um I guess I would say that for embracing neurodiversity in the workplace it's more than just awareness days I mean I think there can be there is the risk of being a bit tokenistic about things um saying oh you know we're a we celebrate neurodiversity it's it's more than just saying it it's a practice that you have to demonstrate and action is required and I would say that kind of as I've talked a bit about kind of workplace cultures that um, can benefit neurodivergent employees. Also things like inclusive hiring um, practices. So when you're um, even kind of at the stage of advertising a role or collecting CVs or however you're kind of moving forward with that, how are you starting at that point to um, imagine your neurodivergent um colleagues and kind of are there any barriers in your hiring practices so I mean it's a small example but but within my team um, we've for some time um, always provided um, interviewees with a copy of the questions in writing so that and um, if people find it perhaps difficult in terms of short-term memory or want to review questions they're able to do so and we don't do that just for people who are neurodivergent we do it for everybody now I'm imagining in terms of like um creative industries the interview may be slightly different than they are kind of in my department but it's little steps that you can take to sort of make gestures towards um being inclusive and um celebrating your diversity yeah I totally agree with you I think yeah you're absolutely right you know the fashion industry and the creative industry um you know have acknowledged and they're picking up with these kind of um key structures you know mm-hmm. especially when they're recruiting for their businesses and i think they've started to implement this um now even more so now that obviously we're working more heavily digitally mm-hmm. due to the, obviously the lockdown so I think it's in the right direction, but it's going in very small baby steps. But hopefully, obviously, there's going to be future growth and development, you know, in that in that stage. Um, so, you know, just lastly, like, do you have any advice for our students who are listening um, if they are new divergent? Well, yeah, I think um, I think that thing we put touched on a couple of times before um, in this conversation is about on the one hand you're a creative person, but on the other hand you're entering a, a place where you need to deliver. So as long as you're being clear. Um, what your outcomes are and you know that you can get to them in your own way I think that was something that it took me a long time to understand that I do better when I do things the way that that I feel like I can do them but that doesn't mean you don't lose respect for the greater mission and for what you what is required from you but I think you need to know that you you have the license to approach it in your own way because that's that is why someone's come to you you know that's why people approach individuals and creatives for these things so it's like it's confidence but with respect you know for for the greater process and 
anyone, everyone has different abilities in the space and you need to challenge yourself at times, but also, also give yourself the tools to reach the outcomes. Totally agree. And Kerry, any other last little pointers for the students who are listening? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's um, it's about kind of practical strategies, practical tools. Um, I'm a great believer that you don't need to disclose that you're neurodivergent unless you want to. It's not that it needs to be a big secret. You can talk about it, but it shouldn't need to be necessary to get what you need. If you're able to say, well, actually, do you know what? I'm going to work a little bit better if um, maybe I um, plan my day in this way. Is that OK? You don't need to say because I'm autistic, because I'm dyslexic, unless you want to. So some people get a bit nervous, understandably. Uh, there is still some stigma. We're trying to be inclusive, but the stigma does, does remain. So people can worry, well, do I need to disclose? Do I need to tell my employer? And I would say start with practical things first that um, could be implemented irrespective of whether you um, disclose that you're neurodivergent. If you're struggling to get what you need or you need to kind of advocate a bit further, you may need to disclose, but that's um, not something that you need to do immediately. Just kind of focus on those practical examples of how you work best and trust that your employer wants to get the best out of you. So if you're proactive and say, this is how I work best, this is gonna work best for me, hopefully they'll take well they'll start to take that on board fabulous well i want to say a huge thank you to james and carries for your contribution today and hopefully um you know there'll be new exciting developments for the future to support new divergent employees within the workspace um students can access a wealth of our careers and enterprise guidance um through our learn and development resources on our graduate futures moodle page but i just want to say thank you so much for joining joining me today and having this um valuable topic of discussion so thank you thank you all thank you very much